Hallowed, Chapter 4, The Splintered Tree The Forked Inn, 23rd of March, Year 329 of the Hallowed Era The road out from Tonsgrove was narrow, unpaved, and winding, but it was the only road that Dina had ever known. It widened slightly as they traveled, but even then it was only wide enough for two wagons side by side. When they came upon the main road, Dina gaped at the sight. It was large enough to fit a house if a house had wheels and was pulled by horses. It was large enough even for several houses. And it was paved, too, with large flat stones pressed into the earth, though many were cracked or hidden beneath a layer of dirt and mud. There was an inn at the fork. Not a particularly large one, according to Avenel and Mr. Allard, but it was the first building that Dina had seen since leaving Tonsgrove. The stream they had been following ran past the inn, where a mill had been installed to harness the water. Out front, closer to the road than the inn itself, was a large and twisted elm, split in half by some lightning strike of decades past. There was a small stable, too, and a fenced area with a dozen clucking chickens. Here we are, said Mr. Allard, pulling up to the inn, and just in time for supper, from the smell. The faded sign above the door read the forked inn, and featured a fork with its tines split apart. The door swung open, and a portly woman stepped out to greet them. Dina couldn't help but notice the scar on her arm as she wiped her hands on her apron. Joel, said the innkeeper, and Lord Avenel, too. She bowed. I'm relieved to see you two are safe. You've heard what happened, then? asked Avenel. The woman nodded. One of ours came by to send a bird to the silent tower. Lord Camilla came by, too. Sent to see what's left, I suppose. It's not your job to speculate, Bet, said Avenel. Is Camilla still here? Bet shook her head. You just missed her. She went by foot, or I'm sure you would have passed her on the road. Are there any other guests? None but you. Avenel nodded. We'll need room and board for the night, and I'll need to send a bird to Vallis. Of course, my lord. Toss will get you set up. She glanced curiously at Dina, but when neither Avenel nor Mr. Allard made any move to introduce her, she disappeared through a door into what Dina assumed was the kitchen. Dinner wasn't much, a stew of chicken and carrots and peas, but it was better fare than they'd had on the road, and Dina devoured her bowl. Would you like another? asked Avenel. No, said Dina, but thank you. Avenel nodded and rose from her seat. I'll send that bird now, she said. Time to put Vallis out of his misery. Who's Vallis? asked Dina as she walked away. A, uh, a friend, said Allard. Avenel's going to take you to go see him. Dina turned to look at him. What about you? Allard shook his head. The Israelians did a number on my cart. I'm surprised it's lasted this long. No, I need to get it fixed, sooner rather than later, so I'll be heading to Emdenshire in the morning. Can't I go with you? Ah, that. He scraped his spoon across the bottom of his bowl. Look, your mother would have wanted you to go to Vallis. Why? Did my mother know him? Sure, said Allard. He's, um, he's a friend, from before Tonsgrove. My mother never mentioned a Vallis. Has your mother mentioned anything from before Tonsgrove? That, Dina supposed, was a fair point. Look, said Allard, Lord Avenel, she's not good with people, exactly. I don't think she even remembers how to talk to someone who isn't a soldier. But that doesn't mean she isn't a good person. You'll be fine with her, really. She kills people for a living. Killed, corrected Allard. She left service decades ago. Retired, I suppose you could call it. The only things she's killed lately have been elk and fish, and probably some rabbits. What does she do now? asked Dina. Allard shrugged. How should I know? Cataloging birds if the rumors are true. Oh, 
I thought you two were friends. Allard scoffed. She trained me, is all, before I decided that killing wasn't in my blood. I hadn't seen her in decades until I spotted her at Tonsgrove's tavern. She trained you? asked Dina. To be... to be an assassin? Aye, but that was a lifetime ago, and she was secretive even back then. There were rumors, when I was a recruit, that she lost her entire family in the revolution, but that's all anyone knew about her. Well, that and the fact that she despises tardiness. Only when my trainees have been drinking the night before, said Avenel, returning. You deserve the extra laps you got. You knew about that? asked Allard. Avenel gave him a look. I could see you from my window. Honestly, Joel, it's a wonder you ever thought you would make a good spy. Taws was the innkeeper's husband, and he showed them to their rooms. Dina's had a window that overlooked the chickens. The clucking reminded her of her chickens at home. She wondered what had happened to them. Perhaps she should have taken them with her, but it was too late now. The room was playing, with just a wash basin and a small cot, but it was luxury compared to the back of a large wagon. Dina collapsed onto the bed and wondered, briefly, if she should ask to draw a bath, but then her eyes slid closed and she fell asleep. She dreamt of the tree, the cleft elm in front of the inn, but when the lightning struck, it caught on fire. She ran inside the inn to tell someone, but there was no one around. Her mother wasn't there, but then she remembered that, of course, her mother was in the garden. Her mother was with the chickens. But when she ran outside to find her, there was only a hole in the ground. And then she turned back to the tree, and there were bodies hanging from it, Mathieu and Fee and Mrs. Sandler. Their eyes stared blankly at her until they melted from their sockets. Someone was holding her hand. Someone said something to her and wiped the soot away from her face. Dina was crying, or trying to cry, but her tears evaporated in flames. The sun was high in the sky when she woke. Someone had taken off her shoes and placed them neatly by the foot of the bed. She sat up, and a damp towel fell from her forehead. The inn was quiet. She used the wash basin to splash her face and clean her teeth, then emerged from her room. The innkeeper, Bet, was sitting at a table, darning an old sock. She looked up as Dina entered. Lord Avenel is out back, she said. Where's Mr. Allard? asked Dina. He left at first light, said Bet. You had a bit of a fever this morning, so we didn't wake you. Oh, said Dina. Well, thank you for the towel. Wasn't me, said Bet. That was Lord Avenel. The woman didn't look much like an assassin, apart from her unusual choice of perch though Dina supposed that she had no idea what an assassin might look like. Her frame was slim, but tall, with hair that fell nearly to her waist, even when tied back. She was pretty, too, with high cheekbones and a smooth complexion, and when she looked up, her gaze was piercing. Here, said Avenel, tossing the bit of wood she had been whittling. Dina caught it. It had been carved into the shape of a tree, detailed down to the leaves. It's an oak, she said. Avenel nodded. I took the wood from that tree in your town square. I thought you might like it as a keepsake. Dina turned the wooden tree over in her hand. Thank you, she said. It's pretty. Avenel nodded again and leapt down from the roof of the coop. Have you eaten yet? No, said Dina. I'll have Bet feed you something, and then we'll be going. Wherever this Vallis lived, it was apparently in the mountains, because they started down a narrow footpath rather than follow the main road. Avenel walked ahead and Dina followed, but as the path grew steeper, Dina found it increasingly difficult to keep pace. Are you all right? asked Avenel, turning around. Fine, replied Dina, panting. Just out of breath. Avenel turned toward the sun. It was already starting to set. There's a larger road, too, but it takes twice as long, so I thought. 
It's fine, said Dina. I'm fine. Avnel looked at her for a moment. Let's make camp for the night. There was no stream this time, but there were rabbits, though Dina wasn't quite sure how Avanel had taken one down with just a sword and a dagger. Dina had always been too squeamish to skin a rabbit, so Avanel did it, and told Dina to make the fire. Dina piled the branches together, but when she picked up the flint and steel, her hands shook too much to light anything. Avanel took over making the fire, while Dina could only sit and watch. Allard had taken the pots and pans with him, so they cooked the rabbit like a spit roast. There was some bread, too, that they'd brought from the inn, and a bit of hard cheese. They ate in silence, and afterward, Avanel put out the fire. They had no tent, and the ground was hard and bumpy. Avanel laid out her cloak to sleep on and used her knapsack as a pillow, so Dina did the same. The forest canopy was thick, too thick to see the stars, but some moonlight still made its way to the forest floor. Dina turned the wooden tree over again in her hand. In the dark, the leaves almost looked like they were moving, as though they were rustling in the wind. Um, Lord Avenel, said Dina. Just Avenel will do, said Avenel. Uh, Avenel, then. Mr. Allard said you lost your family in the revolution? Were they, were they killed by the hallowed? Was it a raid, like... She wanted to say like mine, but the words wouldn't come out. There was a moment of silence, then... It was a fire. Oh, said Dina. She remembered the bodies at Tonsgrove, silhouetted by the dying flames. Get some rest, said Avnel. You'll need your energy. They woke at dawn, and for a moment Dina thought there was a fire in the distance before she recognized the orange glow of the rising sun. They broke their fast on more of the bread and cheese, then resumed their upward trek. We should arrive by sundown, said Avenel. Later than I expected, but... She trailed off. At mid-morning, they came across a stream, where they stopped for a rest and to fill their flasks. Dina watched as Avenel mixed drops of purple iodine with the water to make it safe to drink. They stopped again at noon to eat what was left of the bread and cheese, then headed off again before Dina felt she was fully rested. We should meet with the road soon, said Avenel. It'll be less of an incline. Uh, okay, panted Dina. You can see our destination now, through the trees. Dina followed Avenel's gaze. High up on the mountainside, a single tower stood tall and proud, with crenellated walls running alongside it. The castle was large, larger than any building Dina had ever seen, larger even than Tonsgrove's town square, and more besides. That's where we're going? she asked. Avenel nodded. That's the silent tower. Dina turned to look at Avenel. That's where they trained the assassins, like you. Avenel nodded again. Lord Vallis is the current head of covert affairs, she said. I passed the role to him when I left. How did my mother know someone like him? Avnel shrugged. It wasn't long before their path met the road, but road was a generous descriptor. It was more of a goat path, rocky and uneven, and barely wide enough for two horses side by side. However, the incline was far gentler than that of the footpath they had been on, a relief to Dina's aching lungs and legs. The sun was nearly to the horizon when they heard the clip-clopping of hooves. A rider came around the bend in the road, leading a second horse behind him. He was an attractive man, with a head of golden curls and a silk tunic that did nothing to conceal his lean and muscular physique. The man dismounted. Lord Avenel, he said, dropping a low, sweeping bow. It's a pleasure to see you again, as always. His teeth shone white as snow when he smiled. Eriker, said Avenel with a slight nod of her head. I don't recall requesting an escort. You didn't, said Eriker. But as it was nearing sundown and you still hadn't arrived, I thought I'd come meet you halfway. That was considerate, said Avenel. 
Who's your young friend? asked Eriker. Her name is Dina. Dina, this is Sir Eriker of the Silent Tower. Hello, said Dina. After a momentary hesitation, she bowed as she had seen Bet do at the inn. Charmed, said Eriker. He handed the reins of the second horse to Avenel. Shall I accompany you the rest of the way, my lord? No, said Avenel. Right ahead and let Valus know we've arrived. As my lord commands, said Eriker, bowing once more before mounting his horse and returning the way he came. Dina patted the nose of the horse. I've never ridden a horse before, she said. Just sit and don't fall off, said Avenel, fastening their bags to the horse. She swung herself up into the saddle, then reached down to help Dina up behind her. Here, put your arms around me. Dina hesitated a moment, then complied. They arrived at a giant iron gate embedded into the side of the mountain. The gate was wider than Dina had ever the gate was wider than any Dina had ever seen, large enough to fit a house through, perhaps. A man on the parapet above shouted something indistinct, and a moment later the great gate slowly lifted with a groaning of metal chains. Dina couldn't help but be uneasy as they passed underneath, but the chains held, and they passed safely to the other side. It was dark inside, but once Dina's eyes had adjusted, she found herself in a massive cave at least the size of Tonsgrove's town square. Braziers the size of wagons hung from the cavern roof. Underneath, there was a stable, a kennel, and crates piled high along the walls. Corridors branched away on either side, and there was a deep recess on the far wall. A stable hand, not much older than Dina, came forward for their horse. Dina dismounted, rather clumsily, nearly kicking the boy in the face. Sorry, said Dina. Um, what about our bags? The servants will get them, said Avenel. The recess in the wall, it turned out, was actually a shaft that extended well past the roof of the cave. A large metal cage, almost as wide as the gate, descended slowly from the shaft. When it arrived at the cavern floor, the front of the cage folded open. Is that safe? asked Dina, when Avenel motioned for her to step inside. If you'd rather take the stairs, said Avenel, it's a thousand steps to the top. Dina stepped inside the lift. There was a girl running toward them from across the cave. Wait, she called, wait for me. It was only when she neared that Dina saw that the girl was actually a grown woman, albeit a petite one. She ran into the lift, panting, hair disheveled with a smudge of dirt on her cheek. Thank you, she said. She looked up. Oh, you must be Lord Avenel. Did Sir Erica already go back up? Avenel regarded her. He did, she said. You're Sabine's daughter. I am, said the petite woman, and I've been told that I'm her spitting image. She bowed. I'm Tatiana, Tatiana Vitell. I use my uncle's surname. And now you're working under Eriker, said Avenel. From what Valis tells me, your mother would be proud. Tatiana beamed, and fetching dimples formed on her cheeks. My lord is too kind. The lift began to move with a great grinding of gears and chains. The floor shuddered and shook, but both Avenel and Tatiana seemed unfazed. Tatiana seemed to sense Dina's unease. Is this your first time in the lift? she asked. Dina nodded. It made me nervous, too, when I first arrived. Perhaps you'll feel more at ease if you saw the mechanisms. I have some time tomorrow. I could show you around, if Lord Avenel permits it. I don't see the harm, said Avenel. Tomorrow, then, I'll give you the grand tour, said Tatiana. Oh, but I don't believe I caught your name. It's Dina, said Dina, and bowed. Tatiana laughed. Oh, you don't have to bow to me. I'm not a sir just yet. Just Tatiana is fine. The lift slowed as it emerged into a courtyard lit by the setting sun. Dina blinked and squinted as the door of the lift creaked open. I have to run, said Tatiana, stepping out from the lift. It was lovely to meet you, Lord Avenel, and you too, Dina. I'll see you both at dinner. The courtyard was full of people, 
men and women bustling about their business, busier even than Tom's Grove on market days. Some of the people wore expensive silks and jewels, while others were dressed in plainer garb. Two men were carrying a large crate across the courtyard. To the right, there was a group at sword practice, their weapons glinting in the sun. Somewhere out of sight, the sound of a blacksmith's hammer rang out across the yard. Almost all of the people looked young. "'Are they all hallowed?' asked Dina. "'Most,' replied Avnel. "'Is Tatiana?' Avnel nodded. They crossed the courtyard and entered the large tower that looked to be the main structure of the keep. Up close, it was even larger than it had appeared from afar, easily the width of four or five of Tonsgrove's cottages. The exterior stones looked old, weathered, and smooth, but the doors and windows seemed to be of newer construction. A man stood waiting for them by the door, dressed in a crisp silk shirt, his bald head reflecting the sunset. He bowed. Lord Avenel, he said, it's a pleasure to welcome you back to the silent tower. Charles, said Avenel with a nod. Dina, this is Charles, the steward here. Hello, said Dina, unsure of whether to bow. Charles bowed, putting an end to Dina's dilemma. A pleasure to meet you, Miss Dina, he said. Come, Lord Vallis is waiting for you. They passed a few people on their way up the tower, many of whom bowed to Avenel and looked curiously at Dina. The number of floors they passed made Dina almost wish for a second lift, until at last they arrived at the top. There were only three doors on this floor, each one large and imposing. Charles knocked on the middle of the three. My lord, he called. Lord Avenel and young Dina have arrived. Come in, called the voice from within, and Charles opened the door. The room inside was large and brightly lit by a number of floor-length glass windows. Bookshelves filled the spaces between the windows, topped with marble busts. There was a fireplace on one of the walls, as tall as a door, and accompanied by a small trestle table and a quartet of matching armchairs. The center of the room was dominated by a large and ornate desk of dark mahogany, piled high with papers and books. Sitting at the desk was a man who Dina assumed to be Lord Ballas, who looked at them over spectacles perched on a long, thin nose. The rest of his face was long and sharp, too, with high cheekbones and a hard, square jaw. He brushed back his hair. Lord Avenel, he said, rising, and... Avenel interrupted him. Charles, she said, I'll need a word with Lord Vallis in private. Of course, said Charles. Shall I show Miss Dina to your quarters? Please, said Avenel. I'm sure she is tired and will want a bath. Charles nodded. This way, miss. Uh, oh, okay, said Dina. She glanced back at Avenel for a moment, then turned to follow Charles out of the room. Avenel waited until the door had swung shut behind them before retrieving the ring from her pocket. She crossed the room in three quick strides and slammed it on Vallis's desk. Explain. Vallis picked up the ring and ran his thumb over his sigil. Did Edith give this to you? No, she was dead. Vallis closed his eyes. Ah. Is the girl your daughter? Vallis didn't answer. His eyes remained closed. After a long silence, he sighed. Yes. She's lucky to be alive. If Joel and I hadn't been there. I know, said Vallis. Tonsgrove was supposed to be safe. Safe? asked Avenel. I know, said Vallis, holding up his hands. But there hadn't been an attack like that in decades. If I had known... I'm not talking about the attack, interrupted Avenel. I'm talking about Tonsgrove. You know full well how towns like that can be, how much they resent hallowed rule. You know what happened to Camilla. It isn't like with Camilla. Edith knew what she was, who I was, and once Dina came of age, we would have told her. So why send them away at all? You would hardly be the first man to keep a paramour or a bastard child. That isn't what... 
It isn't how you think, said Valis. Believe me, I had my reasons for... What reasons could you possibly have for abandoning your own daughter? The look Valis gave her was that of a wounded deer. I... I didn't, he said quietly. Avenel, I... I didn't know what else to do. Avenel regarded him for a moment. Then talk to me. Tell me what your reasons are. Valis hesitated. Promise me you won't tell us all. And... and that you won't hurt her. Why would I hurt her? Edith isn't Dina's mother. Not by blood. Then who is? Valis sighed. Her name was Fawcett. She was a Jean. End of chapter 4